Well, good morning. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point, and I'm just glad to have you with us. Thanks for being here and, and uh, choosing to worship with us this morning. For those of you listening online later, we're glad to have you and our audience here uh, as well. Uh, thank you again, worship team, for leading us this morning. We really appreciate you guys, and thank you for singing and bringing us together in praise this morning. We hope, like every morning that you're here, that you're encouraged and lifted up in, in seeing who our God is together. I want to just touch base on a couple of things before we get going in the series this morning. Uh, many of you by now have heard of this thing that we call Together 2013. For those of you whom this is new to, Together 2013 is a partnership between five organizations in our community, Grace Point Church, Keystone Church, Peckley Valley School District, Paradise Township, and the Factory Ministries. And we are working together for the common good, not only in the past summertime, but now into the fall as well. Uh, so many good things have been done, from cleaning roads to running the Paradise Run, Ride, and Walk, to tutoring students. Um, and now, the next thing that we have coming up, I just kind of want to keep it in mind for you that it's coming up, is we're going to be having a, a, a small little uh, renovation, a part of the old elementary school for a furniture bank that's going to be getting rolling here. And actually, um, I think now Justin Heil is, is kind of coordinating that. So since we had Corinne Wave, we'll have Justin Wave. And Justin is right there. He's going to be helping coordinate that effort, um, and more info will be coming on that. After that, we'll be doing some Paradise Park beautification as well, which would be a good, good thing. I also want you to know this. Last year, the factory ministries in Peckway Valley School District went down to, I think it was Atlanta, Georgia, for a national conference, basically on working together to get out of poverty and working through poverty situations. And it, it was a national conference of the Ruby Payne or AHA process organization. Many school districts and social services organizations were there. And they began to hear the story that the factory and the school was telling about the Together 2012 initiative. And they asked them, would you guys be willing to come back next year at our national conference and share about the Together initiative in your community? And so they've invited us and invited me in this case to go down with them to Oklahoma City at the end of this month and share about the Together initiative at the national conference of the Ruby Payne and AHA process deal. So I just want you to know we're part of something that people are like, this could actually be interesting to see how do people do this. And it's a pretty cool thing to be able to be involved in, in sharing our voice with school districts across the nation as well as social services organizations. Just a little piece of what we're trying to do with the Together initiative. So I'm pretty excited about that opportunity coming up. Okay, um, next thing I want you to know, and then I'm going to move on to, to uh, our message series this morning, is that we are working right now as a missions team in the background on our summer plans for next year, for 2014. Um, we have, uh, some of you may or may not know this, we are looking to send Pastor Joel and Angela away, <laughs> along with my in-laws, <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> We are looking to develop a more strategic relationship with two of our missionary families. Uh, Don and Tabitha Wynn are in Cambodia, and Bobby and Michelle Law are in Taiwan. And right now, we, we just maybe know that. Uh, by and large, we may or may, may or may not even have known that. We want to go further than that in our relationships with our missionaries. We want to figure out, can we help you on the ground there? Can we partner in more strategic ways? So we're right now working out the logistics of getting uh, Joel and Angela and, and Deb and Vernon Smoker um, on an exploratory team, the four of them, just to go on the ground for about 10 days, maybe two weeks. We're hoping late fall, maybe winter time, to visit Cambodia and Taiwan and come back and report to us about how can GPC continue to 
to step into relationships there as well. The missions team as well right now is working on the background of developing other relationships for, for summer next year. So fear not, we're going to continue to move forward with the Together, which will be Together 2014, as well as continuing to push the boundaries of spreading um, the good news of God's love through Christ uh, beyond these walls and beyond this community. So we're looking forward to that. Okay, um, last thing I want to say is as we transition now into this new series, um, called Deeply Rooted. You'll notice over here, uh, do you know what this is? It's a wall hanging. Um, no, it, it is a wall hanging, but I'm grateful to our Inspire team. Our Inspire team is our creative worship um, service planning team, and they do a lot of things in the background. Some you see, some you don't know. Um, Deb Smoker, Angela Buffington kind of help do, with the decorations, and Melissa, I believe, Melissa Zook helped create this. This is um, a seed that's being planted. You can see the roots and you can see the seed above the, the ground level and it kind of rises in its color uh, from there and its brightness because we're moving into this series called Deeply Rooted. And this series uh, that we begin today is a four-part series in which it springs off or is rooted from, if you will, one of our um, key values, core values that we talk about at Grace Point Church. And that value is right up here. We say this, that at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. Okay? At the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. Now, if you are um, a church person and you've been in church for a while, you might be like, okay, that sounds good, that sounds fair, that sounds right, okay, good. So then we push a little bit further with our core values and we want to ask this question. As we reflect on this personally, we want to ask, how much authority am I willing to give God and his word in my life? How much authority am I willing to give God and his word in my life? Now, you still might be feeling like, okay, I'm in the clear. I mean, by and large, I'm committed. I believe that there is a God. I, I'm here, for goodness sake. What else do you want? I'm listening to you, buddy. You know, what more do you want me to do? You know, I actually have a Bible of my own, and, you know, I kind of care about things of God. So what more do you really want from me? And I, and I just want to say this, that this series is meant to drive a little bit further into this question here, and that is this question, how am I responding right now to God and his word? How am I responding right now to God and his word? Here's what we know about commitments. And you guys, depending on who you are, some of you have made a general commitment to want to follow God or to believe there is a God and that Jesus actually walked the earth and he is who he says he is and the Bible is true. You've kind of committed to that. But here's what we know about commitments. They ebb and flow, don't they? You can be more or less committed depending on what's going on in your life, right? Take, for example, the Phillies. Maybe you're a little more committed to arranging your life around the Phillies if they were winning, right? Maybe it's a little cooler to give Phillies memorabilia as a Christmas gift if they won the World Series. That would be cool. But maybe it's a little less cool and maybe a little bit less interesting to go to a Phillies game or give memorabilia if they're in the basement. They're just not very good. Isn't that true? You might say at some point, I'm, I'm committed to my sports team, whatever it is. Some people, for some reason, like Pittsburgh teams, we don't know what's wrong with people like that, but they, they're there. Whatever it is, right? And you say, okay, I have a commitment to this. But isn't it true that our commitments, even to our hobbies like that, if you will, or, or our little affections like that, they ebb and flow, right, with the movement of the team. Now, don't our commitments also ebb and flow with our commitments to our relationships, Right? 
You're committed to your friends right now, and then all of a sudden you graduate from high school, and then it's like, I don't see you, like, ever anymore. And I see other people because I'm in a new, like, relationship, and now we're kind of committed this way to, to one another. For some of us, it's in our marriage. If we're honest, there are seasons in your marriage where you're just more committed to one another. You've, you don't stop being committed to marriage. It's just that you're closer to one another. You have a greater commitment to want to know and to get involved in the life of the person that you're with. Isn't it true that our commitments ebb and flow, that I can be more or less committed based on what's going on in my world? And isn't it also true that if we think of commitment, we can think of commitment kind of like a path. If you've ever gone on a hike with someone, or maybe you want to take someone on a hike, there's some good hiking trails we can recommend that can be can be good for you. Um, and you, you want to get to the woods, you want to have this kind of romantic time with your significant other, if you will, or just you guys want to go on a hike for some reason because you like outdoors and ticks and all that. Good for you. You want to go into the woods and you get to the woods and you have an option. You can just walk right through uh, the woods and right through the brush because no one's really stopping you. Or you can notice there's a trailhead here. And would you look at that? Someone has actually created a path for me to walk down. Isn't this cool? Someone else has gone before me and kind of tamped this down and cleared the way, and it's easier for me, clearly, right, to walk down the path. And isn't it true that we can kind of view commitment that way? That the more committed I am to something, the more routine my habits become, and the easier it is where I create a path toward commitment. When I say that I love my wife, and I want to be committed to her for the rest of my life, I make choices when I wake up, when I go to bed, when I come home, when we kind of project for the next couple years where we're going, I make choices that drive home that commitment. And when I do, it's like I'm tamping down the path through the woods. I'm not committed to anyone else like I'm committed to her, right? And when the time gets tough, and uh, that thorn kind of got me here, and oh, like it's getting late, and I'm tired of this, and what do we do? We keep making decisions that tamp down that commitment, and commitment can be seen as a path, right? And what we like to do is we like to kind of get into our, we call these our routines. We get into a routine, and we get into a habit, a ritual, a practice, in which we just kind of go through this commitment. We go through our weeks this way, right? In fact, this happened to us recently, and now Jen is now working, my wife is working uh, at the school right now, at the school district, and it's really helpful for our schedule to, to have that, have her home with the kids when they're home and all that. But it's changed up my, my path, okay? I have a, a weekly path where I know what I do generally, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, all the way on down. And I've just kind of, through a series of commitment and habits and routines, I have tamped down this path, and I've cleared the way in front of me. So I don't have to wake up every morning and think, what in the world should I do today? That's just hard work. I kind of know what Tuesday's like. I know what Wednesday's going to be like. I just have these habits, and you probably do too. We create these routines in which we tamp down the path, and it makes it efficient and easy to live that way. But when things change, like for us, when a schedule change happens, it's, whoa, I have to get into a new routine. I have to kind of get a new path, and now I have to clear the brush. We're taking a left turn here. I wasn't ready. Now I've got to kind of clear the brush and begin developing new habits, still with commitment, but new habits so that I can walk down this new path. And we really don't like that all the time. And isn't it true that this is also the reality for our spiritual lives? That there are spiritual paths that we have kind of been raised on or that we even create for ourselves, where we tend to see God, or you tend to see the church, you tend to see your faith, the way in which you have been raised and the path in which you have been brought down. 
for some of you who've been in church forever and your parents were, were changing your dirty diapers and kind of raising you as a kid, they were hoping would, would grow up to love and know God and, and be involved in, in things of the church and the faith and all that. You were shaped in the fact the path was cleared for you before you even knew there was such a thing as a path. And you kind of were raised in a home where you did Christian things before you even knew who Jesus was. I mean, you just looked like a Christian before you even knew how to make the decisions yourself. You were on the path. And others of you grew up in a, in a home that, that was skeptical of things related to faith. And so you, you looked differently because you didn't share that value system. Your, your family or whatever didn't share that. And maybe you don't or still don't today. That your, your choices were different because your path was tamped down differently. Jesus is going to talk to us in this series about, and really this morning, about this concept of the path that we are on. And here's the thing, while there's great value, there's great value in kind of tamping out a spiritual path and spiritual routines and practices, there's also great danger that exists in living life on a spiritual path without reflection, without reflection. There is great danger because when we're on a path, a spiritual path in particular, that has been tamped down in front of us. It is easy, is it not, to click into cruise control mode and just go. I just, what I do is I go to church on Sundays. I might read the Bible during the week. I might not. I might pray when there's a traffic jam and I really need to get to work on time. You know, I might do that stuff because that's kind of my routine. But I don't really stop to think about is the path that I've tamped down, are the routines that I've created around my spiritual life healthy or not? Have I created a world in which I think that I am doing the right things spiritually? I think that I'm on the right Christian path, if you will, whatever you want to call that. I think I'm there. But what if we were to stop and kind of back up and ask the question, how am I doing right now in my commitment to my God and his word. So, for example, this has probably happened to some of you. If it hasn't happened to some of you yet, it will. You've been raised in a place, in a home, where you've been taught certain things, <clears throat> and you grow up uh, as a high schooler, and you get out of high school, and you go into college, or you go into the workforce, wherever you go into, and you begin to see faith differently. Perhaps you've grown up in this church forever, and you go to your friend's church, and they do something way different. Or you, you're coming here from another church and you're like, man, these guys are doing it way different than they are. It could be, and I've talked, and it could be this, that, you know, that you've grown up in a home where you had parents or whatever who, who lived a certain way and made certain decisions, let's say related to conflict resolution. And you were, you were comfortable in your home knowing that mom and dad are, are Bible-believing Christians and they're raising me this way. But man, they really, they, like, they just gossip about the people in their life that they don't like. Like, they just criticize people. That's just who they are. And you didn't really know that that wasn't what you're supposed to do. That's just the path that you were on. You walk down that path behind mom and dad. And you get out of your home and you realize, you know what, whoa, all of a sudden, the path that I was on spiritually, that is the, the way that I thought particularly about something like, let's say, conflict resolution, is not really helpful or healthy. And you begin to meet people and they're like, seriously, you have a problem with that person you haven't talked to them? Why not? This is what you do. This is what healthy people do. They resolve conflict. And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm on a path where I don't resolve conflict. I just bottle it up. I mean, I talk about people behind their back, but I just bottle it up. That's what I'm used to. 
because you have been on this spiritual path. You know, it was striking to us when we were in Dallas the difference culturally between people who say they're Christians. And the social differences, no doubt about it. And one of the striking realities was, we're going to use a simple example of alcohol, right? That growing up in a home like I did where alcohol was, was really uh, perceived to be very negative, and I understand all the problems that come along with that, and, and family, my family's had problems with that with addictions in the past and all that, so um, uh, we were raised that way. And so we go down to Dallas, and there's this, and my wife could testify to this more than I could, but there's this women's Bible study. And they go out to a restaurant to eat, and it's kind of a conservative church, right, theologically conservative and all that. And the path that we've grown up on, right, has been tamped down where you constantly hear, like, don't drink, don't drink, don't even think about, like, turn off the TV when beer commercials come on kind of thing, okay? And they sit down with a bunch of women who are committed to Jesus, and the waiter comes by or waitress, and they're like, hey, what would you like to drink? And the first lady's like, I just need a beer. You know, your categories are blown like this can't be because the path that has been tamped down for me is that you can never drink and be a Christian. You just don't do that. No one ever said that, but that was the path kind of that we were on. And so what I want to ask is this question. It's very difficult to see because I want us to try to identify blind spots. And I'll tell you, and you know this, if you already knew they were here, you would have dealt with them, Right? Same for me, but I want us to try to identify blind spots. And today, Jesus is going to take us to this issue of what is the condition of the spiritual path that I'm on? What is the condition of the faith that I say I have? A commitment that you say you have to God, to Jesus, to the Bible. Okay, what if I were able to ask the question right now, what is the condition of my commitment, my faith to God and his word? So, we're going to use the parable of the sowers, if you will, or the seed and the sowers, the seed and the soil, um, as our text for four weeks. And that is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. Matthew, chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew near you. That is in what we call the New Testament. Kind of turn uh, to the back third of your Bible. You'll find Matthew, chapter 13. And we're going to begin at verse 1 in a moment. Um, This parable shows up in three of the Gospels. That kind of means it's generally important, okay? And uh, it's actually um, a story that Jesus begins to tell to try to help those around him understand the kingdom of God and how people receive the message of the word. And so instead of reading the first eight verses to you this morning, I want to show you this brief clip that tells a story for you as well.
And this is the story of the parable, the parable of the sower and the seeds. And pick up in your text in verse 9. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. At which point then the disciples, verse 10, came to him and asked, what are you saying? (laughs) Why do you talk to the people in what? Uh, okay, Jesus, hold on. Cool story, really neat thing, but can you, can you slow it down for us a little bit because I'm lost. It's like Shakespeare in freshman English in high school. Like, what? I think that might have been beautiful and profound. It was just dumb. I don't know which it was, so can you help me understand what's going on here, okay? And, and this is, there's a reason they ask this. This is the first time in, in Matthew's account that Jesus uses parables at all. So in fairness to the disciples, this is their first encounter to this kind of teaching where Jesus kind of goes off into this metaphor and begins to speak this way. So they're like, hey, we're really confused. So he says, all right, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance and whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, Excuse me, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Okay? At which point the disciples were like, What? I were still lost. What are you saying? And here, here's what Jesus is saying in this context. Okay. Go, have you ever been in a situation, this is, I'm going to appeal to moms here, or maybe the siblings who can also relate to this. Have you ever been in a home or been a mom or whatever, and it's, it's bedtime, and you're telling the kids when they're younger and all that, okay, almost anything, but let's pick on, like, time to brush your teeth. Have you ever had to repeat that? Ever? As a parent, have you, have you ever had to repeat something to your kid, and, and it's like, why am I here? Like, is, does anyone notice that I'm a parent in this home? Is, am I not speaking loud enough? Like, what is wrong here? Someone put on Facebook recently something about why does a mom have to turn into a stark raving lunatic before kids pay attention to them, right? Because it's like, seriously, like, how many times did I tell you this and what's wrong? Why can't, and it's not that you're not loud enough, right? It's not like, oh, we didn't hear. No, we heard something but it just was noise. I mean, it just it could have been traffic. It just was noise that went in and came out. It didn't actually translate into anything meaningful. See, the problem for, for, for kids who don't listen is not that they can't hear it. It's that they don't do anything with it. Because why? Not because they need hearing aids. Because their heart doesn't want to listen right then. Right? And this is the problem with Isaiah's people and his prophecy. That the, the people don't want to listen. They don't want to hear. Therefore, they don't. Right? You know people like that. I know people like that. I've been like that. You've been like that. There are times when we just don't want to hear the truth. Right? And this is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to kind of conceal the truth because at this point now, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders have already said to the people, 
Jesus, this man here, his power is demonic. His power is demonic. They have made that judgment now. And as soon as they do that, Jesus kind of says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, no problem. You want to call my power demonic? I just want you to know now I'm going to change the game and how I communicate. From here on out, I'm communicating in parables. I'm hiding the meaning from the people who already think that what I have to say is ridiculous. And those who are ready to hear and ready to listen, you're going to hear it. And you're going to remember it in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. So I'm kind of concealing the truth from those who, they're not even going to listen anyway, and I'm going to reveal it to those who are ready. And he uses parables to do that. And so he explains the parable then in verse 18. Because they're still sitting there looking at him like, what did you just say, Isaiah, what in the world? And so now he explains the parable. Verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Uh Uh-huh. When anyone, what? Hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is a man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands that he produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown, okay? So you know what's repeated there already, right? It's hears, right, it's hears. hears. In other words, the, the word for hears is a, a Greek word called akouo, okay? Akouo, it sounds kind of like acoustics. It's acoustics, okay? It's where we get our English word acoustics. In other words, it's just the, the act of hearing noise. It's not like I actually understand it, it's just I hear it, there's noise, okay? And so what Jesus is saying is everybody hears it's like everybody's ears work. Okay, let's just start that way, that, that we're assuming that your ears work and you actually can take in noise and hear that noise. Acoustically, it doesn't matter if you hear it or not. That's not the issue. So in other words, and here's the problem with this, coming to church or listening to stuff online or whatever it is, taking in the message does not all of a sudden make you wonderful. It does not all of a sudden make you more godly because you accoued it, acoustically heard it. That does nothing on its own for you. Just hearing does not give you credit. God is not up in heaven saying, man, oh, you heard like 43 sermons this year. Holy cow, how did you get through 43 sermons? You heard a lot of stuff. You're amazing. Wow, awesome. You're here again this morning. You're hearing it. Hey, you can hear it, and hearing is the beginning point. You have to hear, to be, but it's the starting point. And if all it is is hearing, it's nothing. It starts with hearing and moves from there. So everybody hears it. And then here's the first seed. And Jesus says it again in verses, uh, verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not what? Yeah, a couple of you had that. Does not understand it, Right? Then what happens? The evil one comes and what? Snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed sown along the path. Now, I have to tell you, here's the image I get, okay? This poor little guy is walking along, if you will, and he's sowing the seed and then it lands on the path. And the path represents a condition of a heart that's kind of hardened and tamped down by routines, okay? That's, that's what it is. It's a hard place. 
So the seed of the truth of God lands there. And, and Jesus says, this is the man who doesn't understand. And then the birds come, and sure, actually the nearest animal will come and grab that seed in a hurry, and it just happens to be the birds. The birds will come and grab that. And so I think, okay, in this scenario, who's active? Well, I think the devil is active. The bird is active. The seed just kind of, plunk, it landed on the path. And it says that person didn't understand it. And as a communicator, I think, well, that's on the teacher. That's on the one who's communicating. You've got to make sure that your audience hears and understands or else you didn't do your job communicating. I think teachers would agree with that in general. You've got to teach well. It's not about disseminating information. It's about your people understanding it. And so if you don't understand it, I take ownership for that. And so this poor person, the represented by the path, doesn't, and here's the, the English word, doesn't understand it. And at first glance, I think, that stinks to be them. Like, too bad for them. That really is a bummer. That active bird came and took it away. But here's the reality of the context. If you look at that word understand and you back it up, check it out in verse 13. Going all the way back up into the text. Verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or what? Understand. Keep going. In, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never what? Okay. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's what? Heart has become what? Calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and then read this phrase with me. What? Understand with their hearts. Here is what Jesus is saying. The person who is not passive, it's not like the teacher failed to communicate. They're not understanding, meaning they don't want to understand. Their heart is calloused. Oh, they hear the message, they see it, but they don't want to believe it. They are just as active as the bird that comes in to take it away. In fact, if they were if they understood, if they wanted to understand the truth, the bird would never come and take it away because it would sink down into the soil. This person is very active. They can change the outcome of their life. This understanding is not just, oh, I wish you were a better teacher. No, it's I have hardened my heart to the thing that I know I should do. There are things about the kingdom of God. There are things about following God and following the scriptures that I know I should do, but I don't do them. I know the things that I need to do, but I don't do it. And therefore, by practice, then I continue to walk. And I'm going to change my life later on. I'm just not ready to move that though yet. And I continue to walk down that line of kind of partial obedience and semi-commitment and it tamps down a path, and it's easier to keep walking down that path. And my heart gets calloused, and then I stop understanding. I still hear people tell me where I should go and hear the Word of God, but it's just acoustics, it's noise banging off the wall through my eardrums, but it doesn't actually make a difference. It's like my mom telling me to brush my teeth when I just want to play with my Legos. I don't hear it. I don't do anything with it. I don't understand it. And this is where Jesus comes now to say, where is the condition of your heart now? If commitment truly ebbs and flows, and yes, there are seasons where I'm more committed and less committed. And the question before us now is, if I can reflect and put myself in this parable, put my heart in this parable, how do I reflect against the condition of this person's heart? And I want to lead into with this question, and that is this. 
What that I know is true is hard for me to believe. What that I know is true is just hard for me to believe. There, there are, for, for all of us, we have all had a spiritual heritage in history. Uh, some good, some not so good, some healthier, some less healthy. We've all kind of had our path kind of tamped out for us in different ways, okay? In very different ways. And there are some things, and you know this is true, there are some things about where you are at right now. There's some things about how you see your family or how you see the opposite sex or how you see your money situation that just maybe isn't quite where you want it to be. There's things that you know that are true about you and anxiety. You're like, I know that I shouldn't, but I just keep worrying so much. There's things that you know are true about you with your tongue and your your freedom with your tongue that you're like, I just wish I wouldn't mm, do that so much. There are things you know that are true about you with ambition and godly ambition and passionate pursuit of his plan for this world that you're like, yeah, maybe there's other people more but not me. And what that I know is true is hard for me to believe. And I want to bring this down even further with a couple of questions here. So if I were to push this a little bit further and ask you these questions, do I really believe, and attempt to kind of drive this message further, do I really believe, for example, that obedience is better than temptation? These are, these are going to be simply examples. This is not an exhaustive list. In other words, when temptation comes, is the last thing we think about obedience? Not really. It's the temptation of what could come from it. I mean, seriously, do I really believe that saying no to myself in this moment is going to be better than saying yes to myself? Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that this is true? Because you know it as well as I. As soon as we step into temptation, and as soon as we log on to that website again, right? And as soon as we step into that conversation about that person that we know we shouldn't do, I'm telling you, and you know this, it's easier tomorrow to log back on. And it's easier tomorrow to continue that conversation. It's easier the next day to continue your anxiety. Because obedience is better than temptation. I'm not sure that it really is on this this issue. Do I really believe that? Okay, another one here. Do I really believe that patience is better than venting? Probably none of you have this issue. Every now and then I do. Wanting to move forward with things and just, uh, you you and I might call it, oh, I'm just venting. I'm just venting to my kids in a really loud kind of way. I'm just venting to my coworker in a really kind of woo kind of way. But do we really believe this is true, that patience is better than giving full range to my anger. We really believe that in the heat of the moment, okay? These are just some examples. Do I really believe that holding confidence is better than gossip? Do I really, really, really believe that? Because you know as well as I do, man, it is hot news when there's something that happens to somebody else and that you're the first one to know about it. Oh, they got, they got fired. They're going to get fired. Did you know that their boss does that? Did you know that he was looking at that? Did you know that they're like, they might be breaking up? I don't know if they are or not, but I mean, let's just pray for them. A long time, you know, let's just put that on Facebook. Okay, do we really believe that holding a confidence, as hard as that is, is better, is better than gossip? Do I really believe that generosity is better than hoarding? You might call it saving, but sometimes I think we really roll into hoarding. Do I really believe that's true? This reality that generosity, being a cheerful giver and giving my first and best to God on a consistent basis is what God wants and therefore is better for me than saving and keeping it all to myself. Do I really believe that is true? It's true. Do I really believe that reconciliation is better than staying angry? 
man, I'm angry at people, you're angry at people, do I really believe it's worth it to be reconciled to them instead of just kind of pushing it under the rug? And when I see them, I'm not going to really look at them, I'm not really going to smile at them, I'm, I'm definitely not going to seek them out because they don't know how much they've hurt me. And I'm not angry at them, but I'm not going to be their best friend. Okay? Do we really believe that the work of reconciliation is better? And do I really believe that forgiveness is better than bitterness? It's better to forgive than to hold on to this and be bitter. And finally here, do I really believe things like confession is better than sin management? Okay, let's push on that for a little bit. Do I really believe that after I sin and after I fall, it's better for me to confess not only to God but also to you than to hold it on my own? Do I really believe that? This is biblical. This is godly. And so for all of us, we have things that we look at and we say, man, there are parts of your life and parts of my life that we just step on and we keep going, we tamp down our spiritual experience and we just keep moving, okay? And there's parts of the truth of God's word that want to penetrate the soil and go down further and say, listen, come on, come on, go here with me. You know this is true. You know that obedience is better than temptation. You know that that is not going to give you life. Come on, you know that generosity is better. And saving, but you're anxious and you're worried about your life. And don't you know that the life of God holds everything in his hands? He holds it all in his hands, including your little life and mine. Come on, you know that's true about your money. But ah, I need to save it and plan it and hold it and keep it. And I, and I think it might be better to forgive and it might be better to reconcile, but I'm telling you, it's going to cost me so much. If I reconcile with him... My parents are going to look at me funny. My spouse is going to be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? If I reconcile and push that, it's just going to mess up everything. So I, I'm just going to be content to be kind of mm, pseudo-friendly to them. And we continue to walk down and harden this path. And you know and I know it becomes easier to keep walking on a path that is clear. When we make that decision, the devil will come and will take away the truth of God, and your heart and my heart will be hardened to the reality of sin. Your heart and my heart, our ears will not hear, our eyes will not see, when we continue to become older and more bitter, more angry, more frustrated, more selfish, more prideful, more arrogant, and you won't see it, and I won't see it, because the devil has taken away the truth, and my heart has become calloused. Here's what we say at GPC. At the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. How much authority am I willing to give to God and his word in my life? Imagine what this would be like for you. Imagine if you could allow that single question of what is it that is hard for me to believe? What is it that is true that I need to respond to? What is it? And you probably don't need to do too much digging to see. In this relationship, in this idea, in this planning, I need to respond to God this way. My heart has become hardened. It's become packed down by not believing in the truth of God's word. The first soil that we land on is a soil that's hardened, calloused to the truth of God's word, to the heart that doesn't care anymore. To the eyes that see and the ears that hear, but the heart that doesn't respond. And my hope for you and my hope for me, and this is where it's hard because it's a blind spot, is that we see again and you have courage again 
to stop walking down a path that you know is not helpful or healthy and back it up and say, God, I need help. I need help. I need to see again. I need to hear again. And I need to move again with courage in a new area because I don't want to be continually growing older and older and more bitter and angry and hardened in my heart toward my God. It takes great courage. I know some of you have already done that in the past couple of weeks. It takes great courage. Keep going there because the alternative is quite a bad option. What that you know is true do you need to act on today? Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth of this parable and the story of the seed falling on the path that was hardened to receiving it. Pray for those of us here this morning who have said along the way that we're committed to following you, that we want to be men and women who make a difference in this world and who, who love you with everything we have, and that commitment has ebbed and flowed, and we've stepped into things that have created habits in our lives, ways we, we respond to people, uh, shortness, uh, lack of patience, lack of care, lack of passion for your truth and who you are, lack of interest, really, in kind of reflecting against whether I'm growing as a man or a woman of God and just kind of stepping into routine habits and walking down the path and not seeing or hearing what we need to see and hear. I, I pray that you give us courage as young men, young women, middle-aged men, middle-aged women, older men, older women, that we could see and hear again. And truthfully, we know what's right in front of us. We know our heart has probably been touched already this morning by an area that we need to deal with. And I, I pray that your spirit would give us courage not to let that go because we all know if we let that go, it's easier to do it again tomorrow. It's so much easier to do it again tomorrow. Give us courage, Father, to reflect to change, to grow, to be people who have this kind of pure and holy passion to follow hard after you, that in everything we do, that this becomes our pure and holy passion to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray.